rare is the honor and the privilege to get a chance to speak with someone who has helped to define the game. I'm not talking necessarily about a season or an era, but the game at large. That fact is underscored by the fact that Tom Watson is a member of the World Golf Hall of Fame. He has won 70 professional tournaments. 39 of those have been on the PGA Tour. That ranks him 11th ever in that stat. He's had eight major championships. He's won the Masters twice in 1977 and 1981. He won the U.S. Open in 1982. He won the Open in 1975, 1977, 1980, 1982, and 1983. He has 14 Champions Tour victories, including six more majors on the senior circuit. He was a member of four United States Ryder Cup teams. He captained two United States Ryder Cup teams in 1993 and in 2014. It's frankly difficult to comprehend, to appreciate the man's accomplishments because of their breadth and width. There's only 10 professional golfers in the history of the sport that have more PGA Tour wins than Tom Watson. Incidentally, he's tied with Gene Sarazen on that mark of 39. There are only five golfers in the history of the sport who have more major championships than Tom's eight. The names would be Jack Nicklaus, Tiger Woods, Walter Hagen, Ben Hogan, and Gary Player. Let that sink in just for a second. You can count them all on one hand. He won his first PGA Tour event in 1974. He won his last PGA Tour Champions event in 2011. Four decades of winning at the highest levels of golf. He played in 145 major championships and had 46 top tens, an astounding rate of 32%. He finished in the top five in major championships 25 times, including those eight wins and an additional eight runner-up finishes. That's an astounding 17%. From 1977 to 1988, his worst finish at the Masters was a tie for 12. And included in that span, he had two wins and three times he was runner-up. His list of accolades would take, frankly, too long to go through. Six PGA Player of the Year awards amongst them, three Varden trophies, the Payne Stewart Award, the Bob Jones Award, the Old Tom Morris Award, etc., And, of course, Tom Watson, as I just mentioned, is in the World Golf Hall of Fame, having been enshrined in 1988. He is nothing short than one of the best to have ever played the game of golf. A delight, as always, to welcome Tom Watson to the show. How are you, my friend? Well, that's a pretty fancy introduction, Matt. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) You are most welcome. How, How are you making it through all this? How are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, actually I live on a farm, so uh, I'm pretty well uh, sequestered, uh, uh, quarantined, uh, you know, just by, by myself, and and things are uh, things are, are going uh, pretty well right here. You know, it's, the spring is springing uh, in in full bloom now. The uh, the daffodils are out. The red buds are starting to come out. The, uh, yeah, the, we're we're starting to see. Uh, 
uh, everything green up. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful time of the year. I love this time of year. That's great. I mean, obviously, you've been through the, the peaks and recently the valleys of life as well. How is Tom Watson doing on a personal level? How are you doing with the balance of everything? How are you feeling? Well, I, I lost my wife, Hillary, to pancreatic cancer on the 27th of November so last sorry. year. It was a two-year two year, uh, uh, struggle with that, and uh, that left a huge hole in my heart and my soul. Um, you know, they, you, know, you never they never get over something like that. You know, that's yeah. uh, she was a, she was a light of my life. She uh, she uh, uh, she made me happy. She you know, her smile and her her voice were uh, just uh, just wonderful. And I and I just uh, I miss her terribly. But uh, the one thing that I try to do is I try to be grateful for having her in my life for for those uh, 23 or 24 years that I had in my life. It was, uh, it was, you know, I, you know, I look at my life as, uh, 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 you know, I'm very grateful and very fortunate to have somebody like that in my life. And, and now I have to carry on and, you know, carrying on at age 70, uh, uh, is, uh, yeah, I still feel at age 70, I still feel like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in my thirties. I mean, I, I still feel uh, strong. I still feel, uh, well, let's not, let's not get too strong about this, man. My, my, I don't hit my drive very far anymore. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I used to be, I used to be able to, you know, carry the ball out there with the driver, uh, 270, maybe 275. And now I really struggle to hit a 250 in the air. So, uh, it, it's starting to go backwards right now, but I'm still enjoying the game. And, um, uh, Actually, more importantly, uh, my wife got me involved and interested in cutting horses, and uh, that's uh, that's my passion now is to is to uh, ride in, in in competition on a cutting horse. So, um, in fact, um, here at the farm, we just had two babies in the last couple of weeks. Oh wow! Uh, we had uh, two colts. Uh, one one is uh, super healthy and frisky. The other one is where he's struggling right now. He's got. Uh, he has an infection. We don't know whether he's going to make it or not, sadly. But is he, oh. uh, we just see. If, we'll see if he uh, uh, can get through this infection in the next couple of days and, and come out of it and uh, and uh, be a horse. So, uh, yeah, that's just life. Uh, we wish you the best with that too. How many horses do you have on the property? Well, I've got uh, you know, we've got uh, two horses uh, here and, and a pony, a pony for my grandkids, um, and. Uh, I got several horses down in Texas where I where I go and train and, uh, and work horses down there. So um, it's been uh, it's it's been a uh, actually it's, it's been a little empty because my my Hillary's not with me to go show and, and go practice and go be with the horses. She loved her horses. She loved her animals. She loved uh, she loved her horses. Loved the dogs. Uh, and this uh, you know it's. Uh, the good thing about it is they remind me of her, uh, remind me yeah. of passion and love for uh, love for uh, the animals in life, and uh, so that that fills me up. But on the other hand, it's it's uh, it gets empty at times. Yeah, I, I wish I wish we were we can't because of social distancing, but we'll send you a virtual hug right now, my friend, for for all of that, and glad that you're seeing the blooming and, and the signs of spring and, and certainly with the with the new little horses there. and we wish the little guy the best that's fighting 
as well. When, when, when you said that, you know, this, this attitude of gratitude that you, that you have right now and that, that you're embracing, has that always been the case for Tom Watson? Have you always been someone who looked on the sunny side of the street? Well, I, I think, I think so. I think, you know, the, you know I've always been, uh, I've always been grateful for what I, uh, you know, what I've, uh, uh, been grateful for my friendships and the, and the loves, loves of my life. I've been grateful for that. I've been grateful for the, uh, you know, the things that, uh, I've been able to do in life, you know, play professional golf. <laughs> How about that? You know, I, I, I kid it and I say it all the time. I said, you know, what better job to have is playing a game for a living. Uh, you know, that's, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for that and game for a living. Most people don't have that, uh, uh, that pleasure of, uh, uh, look, you know, waking up in the in the morning and uh, can't wait to go play a game or go practice or go work on your game. Uh, that uh, you know, they do other things. I hope that you know, most people will have a passion in life for something. That, you know, it doesn't have to be a game. But it can be uh, anything else. But have the the same passion that I had for uh, you know for the game to improve, to get to, to be the best I possibly could on a daily basis, and and never take. Uh, you, know, you never, never, never stay complacent. Always try to improve. Well, Tom Watson, I'd like to do something that I think is going to be incredibly fun for the listeners around the world today, and I suspect and hope it would be fun for you as well. I'd like to go through with you your eight major championship wins, and I'd also like to touch on some close calls that you had as well and just ask you to, for your recollections of these. We'll just bang right through them and kind of and kind of go back through the currents of time and have you talk about them. Are, are you up for that? Well, sure. I hope you have enough time. I hope so too. I, yeah, and it's a tribute to how much you accomplished that we need that much time. But let's jump right into it and and find out what happened when and what were the thoughts. I'm going to take us back to 1975. The Open is at Carnoustie. Tom Watson in his middle 20s. You open with a round of 71. You follow with a 67. You trailed by two shots at that point. Third round 69 had you nine under par, three shots back of Bobby Cole. At Carnoustie in 1975, entering that final round, sir, how much did the weather, the wind, what changed from what seemed like benign start of the tournament weather-wise to what happened on that final day? Well, you alluded you allude to the fact that it did change the weather. Uh, uh, the first three days, it was very calm, it was very little wind. It was very little rough at Carnoustie that year. It was dry, and, and uh, the thing you had to do is stay out of the bunkers and stay out of the, uh, the gorse, which uh, uh, which is you know, dotted around the golf course. But the, uh, on that Saturday final round, which back in those days they finished on Saturday, uh, the uh, the wind blew and and. Uh, it, and the story is, is when I walked to, uh, uh, to the putting green, I, 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 I saw Byron Nelson and Chris Schenkel walk out of the, uh, of the press tent, and, they, and I walked, stopped to say hello, and uh, just a cordial hello. And, and I, I saw Byron, and I said, you know, Byron, do uh, you have any advice for me today? And he said, yes, I do. And he said, the, the, uh, the scores are going to go way up today, and if you shoot around even part of the day, you're going to, He'll be right there, and uh, he was he was spot on. So uh, the one wow. thing that, that uh, uh, happened that day, I had uh, uh, you know I, I, I had you know around even par, and, and it was a struggle, and and I, I played the last 
uh, I think I played the last four uh, four holes, uh, one under par or even par, something like that. And those were really, really difficult holes. And I was still behind by two or three shots, but there, you know, but I had uh, uh, I was three or four groups uh, from the end, and the, the leaders are uh, behind me, and and so I I got into the I got into the last hole. I was playing with Johnny Miller. Johnny was tied with me, and and. Uh, you know, I figured, you know, if I could birdie the last hole, uh, you know, I could put, you know, I, I might get close enough to, you know, get in the playoff. And uh, that's exactly what I did. I, I made about a, I think I made about a 15 or 20 foot putt in the last hole for birdie. And, and uh, um, uh, it, it, uh, it, it came to pass that uh, Bobby Cole faltered. Uh, Jack Newton, who I was in a play with, playoff with the next day he uh, he he finished uh, tied with me and we went we went into the playoff and the thing about the playoff is that the winds blew uh the wind blew from the south on on that saturday uh the final round but they completely changed and blew from the north completely different golf course uh on on sunday for the for the the playoff round and uh, and for instance on the 18th hole i had a drive and a nine iron and uh, to birdie it on Saturday, the final round, uh, in a driver and a two iron in, in, in the playoff. That's how much difference it played. And but anyway, we, you know, Jack and I came to the last hole tied, and and uh, Jack, uh, I hit first and knocked it on the front of the green, and, and probably about forty feet from the hole, and Jack put it in the, in the left bunker. Um, he had a wonderful bunker shot out about eight feet from the hole. Uh, I putted, I putted my putt up there and finished. I made about three footer to finish, and you know, he stood aside and watched him putt. And he hit a great putt that didn't go in, and I won the playoff. And that was, uh, that was kind of unexpected to win. Uh, you know, I hadn't, I won twice before. I won the Byron Nelson that year, and and the previous year, my first tournament, uh, the Western Open, and I, uh, uh, I went in there and. You know, it's, it's funny how golf goes. With, with when you keep on practicing, trying to get better, uh, I found something that really worked for me on the uh, on the, uh, the Wednesday before the tournament, or the Tuesday before the tournament. Uh, Wednesday was the opening round, and uh, that swing thought carried me through. And uh, what what was it? Do you remember? Uh, I, I I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was a it was yeah, being a little bit tighter at the. T- uh, uh, I got. I think I was getting a little bit long and loose. I started to shorten it up a little bit, and and uh, as a result, I I really started uh, striping it. When you've mentioned Byron Nelson twice uh, in this description of the 1975 Open uh, victory at Carnoustie, one when you bumped into him, two the fact that you won his tournament, which I think was classic. How much did the 1974 U.S. Open? And your growing relationship with Byron Nelson influenced what happened here in 1975 at Carnoustie. Well, actually, in '74, uh, uh, at Wingfoot, Byron came to me after the final round. I shot 79 uh, in the U.S. Open at Wingfoot, and he came up to the second floor there. I was having a beer with John Mahaffey, and he, he, he looks through the, the swinging doors, said, "Tom, could I speak with you for just five minutes?" <laughs> And said, of course, and we went in the corner of the locker room privately, and he talked to me, and he uh, he he complimented me on how, how I played, and he said, you know, the last round I wasn't I didn't I wasn't quite in sync, but uh, he, he really liked the way I swung the golf club and conducted myself, and uh, he said, you know, Tom, if you ever like to work with me, 
uh, I'd be happy to work with you. And I said, Byron, that's a you know, great offer. Uh, I'll, I'll take you up on it. But I didn't take it up, take him up on it for a couple of years. Uh, I went to him and, and at the end of 1976, and and uh, and uh, you know, and really. Uh, I started working with him quite a bit, and and I went down to his his ranch in Roanoke, Texas, and spent some time with him and Louise, and and I spent a lot of time with him and Louise when Louise had her stroke, Uh, and uh, Byron was the type of man, he just never left her side after she had her stroke, Um, and so I went down there uh, just to to be with him, and uh, we, we we got to know each other very well, and it was just wonderful to listen to his his take on his life, uh, the way he started the, his life, and the, the tour, the, the types, you know, you can just imagine me being uh, you know, hours and hours on end listening to uh, stories from a man like Byron, who, who was one of the great, uh, you know, he was one of the triumph, great triumvirates of golfers, Snead and Hogan and, and Nelson back in the, the 40s and uh, 30s and 40s, and uh, it was just. Uh, developed a wonderful, strong relationship with him, and carried on all the way uh, to his passing in the nineties. Absolutely brilliant! All three of those great golfers, all born in the year of nineteen twelve. So, when you broke through and won in nineteen seventy five at the Open at Carnoustie, what did it change for Tom Watson? It didn't change a darn thing, honestly, because I still. Uh, didn't uh, you know? I, I still didn't believe in myself that you know I was uh, uh, I was at, at, at anywhere near where I wanted to be. And that uh, yeah, it just happened that I won a tournament. Uh, it wasn't uh, um, you know I, I hadn't proven myself to my to, you know to myself. I hadn't proven myself. Uh, and in 1976, I didn't win a tournament, uh, uh, and then I. I found a swing thought that really worked for me in Japan in the end of '76, and and I carried that uh, through to uh, my breakout year in '77, where I won the Masters uh, uh, in in April after winning a couple of times early, and then won the Western Open, and then I went to the Open Championship at at, uh, at Turnberry and, and played with Jack the last two rounds, and and ended up uh, winning that tournament over Jack and. When he when he came off the green, it was a, it was a it was a defining moment in my career because uh, I, I really had a com- I really had confidence in a, what I was doing with my golf swing. Uh, I won, and I was starting to win. I was understanding how to win, and when I came off the green, he he uh, he said, "Congratulations, Tom. I gave you my best shot, but it wasn't good enough. I'm really happy for you." That's what he said. Wow. Absolutely and, brilliant. All right. I, I want to ask you a couple. The greatest player in the world, you know, the greatest player in the world is telling you that. It, it, uh, it, it just said, you know, uh, to myself, I said, maybe I can play with the big boys now. <laughs> yeah, I think so. A uh, couple of questions, because I, I want to get into those Masters and, and open wins in 77. You mentioned a swing thought again. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, do you remember what that tweak was? It was, yeah. Instead of uh, pronating so much on the backswing and pronating on the uh, on the follow through, uh, rotating uh, my forearms, I uh, I tried to keep the face looking at the ball a lot longer. Like a, I I took it back shut, and I felt like I opened it up. I really didn't open it up in impact, but I I kept the club head so much more square through the impact area, 
and I, you know, I worked the ball, you know, left to right very easily that way. And I, well, I could drive the ball straight. And I, you know, I was really, you know, I really got it going. And uh, I was still a great putter, and and I, and and you know, everything fell in place when I could hit the ball in the fairway and and uh, and make all the putts uh, <laughs> and hit the irons close. And it, it was just. Uh, you know, it was the beginning of uh, a stretch of golf, which, uh, uh, you know, in 77, that which really kind of defined me. And one of the greatest stretches of golf the game has ever seen. At that 1977 Masters, you were three shots back at Hubert Green after going on a 270. In the second round, you had a 69. You were tied for the lead. The third round, 70, had you tied with your friend Ben Crenshaw on seven under. And then in the final round, interesting, we were talking about Jack Nicholas at Turnberry, which we will in a moment. It ended up being a battle between you and Jack Nicholas in the final round at Augusta National. I guess the first comment I'd have to for you, Tom, during an era which I think was a time when Giants roamed, what a leaderboard in that 1977 Masters, and what a battle you and Jack had down at the end. Well, we did. Uh, Jack... Uh, uh... I remember the front nine there. I made four birdies in a row, shoot 32 going out. Uh, I can't remember what Jack shot going out, but uh, he 10 and I bogeyed 10. I missed a short putt at 10. And uh, now we're, you know, now we're, you know, now we're tied. And it ended up, uh, uh, I think he birdied nine and 10. Uh, and uh, so, you know, we, we, we were tied and, and it was a, you know, shot for shot. He was in a group ahead of me. I was in the final group with Rick Massengale. Rick was only one shot behind after nine, but he, he fell off with a, a few bogeys and Crenshaw fell off. Uh, and it, be, it really came, became a two-man battle. And we went shot for shot. He birdied 13, I birdied 13. He birdied 15, I birdied 15. But the key shot, Matt, of, of, uh, of the tournament for me or the final round was the uh, the shot I hit at the 16th hole, the par three. Uh, the, the flag is in the back left, is kind of traditional Sunday pin position there, and and uh, I had a choice between a five iron or a six iron, and and uh, uh, I, I was you know, I just said to myself, I said, here it is. Uh, so I took a five iron out, hit kind of a three quarter shot, or, or as my dad would say, a seven eighths five iron. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I took something off of it, and I. I hit I hit hit the shot, uh, you know, just just left of the hole, and it cut back, and it and it was coming down the stack. And I, when I hit that shot, sure, then I was under, just drained from my body, just and I, yeah, it, it just left. Uh, it was, I mean, it, this was a it was a key shot, and uh, maybe it goes it stemmed back to uh, when I played with Jack in 1975 at the 16th hole. Uh, where I put the ball in the water twice, and that was the famous putt that Jack made up the hill. That uh, the iconic uh, figure of Jack with his putter raised in the air and one foot—that's where that uh, that iconic uh, picture came from. I was on the green with Jack uh, when, when he uh, when he hold that putt, uh, and I'd had a—I you know, was pretty close to the lead, but. Uh, my my quadruple bogey seven really didn't get it there, <laughs> but uh, maybe it was uh, something to do with that. That uh, okay, here you are. You messed up before. Here's a critical shot. Let's see if you can play it. And when I hit the shot, 
uh, it was just, you know, uh, it's just one of those things. He just went into another zone. And, and I just, I played the last couple of holes with, with, you know, a, a quarter of the pressure I had uh, through the, the entire round. Uh, what you, you birdied playing. 17 to take the lead after that. That's right. I buried 17 and you know, Jack bogeyed 18 and I had the luxury of, uh, uh, having to make bogey the last hole to win by one, and I made a par to win by two. Surely now your confidence has to be soaring. We go into the duel in the sun at Turnberry at the 1977 Open. Uh, interesting because after 36 holes, you and Jack were one shot back of, uh, along with Lee Trevino and Hubert Green, I should mention, of Roger Malpe. And then the third round and the final round, I, I know with all due respect, I was there. I was right with the guys call, calling the action at the Open with Henrik Stenson and, and Phil Mickelson, and, and their final round battle was brilliant. But in terms of a weekend of the two giants in the game at the time throwing haymakers at each other, that weekend at Turnbury was so exceptional. And you talked about what happened after you secured the victory. I would love to hear your thoughts about down the stretch with Jack Nicklaus, particularly when he made that putt at 18 at Turnberry. Well, the, the, the day started out and I, I uh, bogeyed the second hole and then Jack, uh, uh, he birdied and then he birdied the fourth hole to take a three shot lead. So I was three shots down after four holes. Uh, but then I brought it back uh, by eight. I made three birdies and Jack with all pars. And I brought it back. I, you know, to even with him, and then I bogeyed nine, and he birdied 12. I, I now back two down to him. And I birdied 13, and then I made a no-brainer off off the green at 15, the par three, uh, you know, to draw back to even with him. So now we were playing 16, the tough hole. We both made uh, good pars on 16 you know, over the burn. Uh, and then 17, uh, the par five, the short par five, uh, uh, I hit uh, I hit a beautiful second shot and went to the back edge of the green, uh, and Jack hit a lousy shot. He hit a uh, he hit a four iron. He hit a bat and to the right, and uh, he was over in the mounds. And he hit this beautiful little chip and run through the mounds about four feet from the hole, and I putted my ball down uh, uh, for an eagle and I, I, I tapped it in for birdie, and fully expecting Jack to make the four footer because he never misses those putts, but. Lo and behold, he did. He missed the four-footer. Now the one-shot lead going in the last hole. Uh, so I tee off with a one-iron in the last hole and uh, knock it down the left side. And, and Jack takes a driver out. I don't understand, but he took a driver, and he had a lousy drive way off to the right. It looks like it's going into the course. The people, you know, yelled four. People, you know, they, they, they spread out. You know, the ball came down. I don't know where the ball is. So I don't know whether it ended up in the course or not. And... So uh, yeah, I walk up to my ball, but then I walk up to his ball to see what type of lie he had, if he was unplayable in the course or uh, could he play. He was six inches from being unplayable, and, but he was in he was in grass five or six inches deep. It was a terrible lie. Uh, yeah, it's awful. That uh, there was only one guy in the world who could probably play the shot out of that, and that was the guy who was playing it, Jack Nichols. He was the best rough player that probably ever was. Upright swing, powerful legs, he could get the get that club head through the through the heaviest grass with the you know better than anybody. So I go back and I hit a shot and I hit it right at the flag. I you know, it was you know, it was wonderful to watch it. I don't know how close it, it ended up, um, but it was because it's such a flat flat 
perfect uh, view of the green. You couldn't tell whether it was, you know, it was a 10 feet short, 10 feet long, but I knew it was right by the hole uh, in as far as the, uh, the line was concerned, but I, I didn't know how close it was. Uh, then I go up and I watch Jack play a shot when he took this mighty swing with, I think, an 8-iron or 9-iron. There was a swath of, of, of rough off the end of his club. He had to have a foot of grass at the end of his club <laughs> on the follow through. I mean, it was I mean, it's a mighty swing. And here comes the ball out. Sure enough, it got, the, it got in the air, and, it, and it's going to land short of the green. And instead of kicking right off the green, it t- took a, a good kick, and it rolls up on the edge of the green, I don't know, 30 or 40 feet from the hole. Uh, and that, uh, you know, back in those days, they, they let the crowds just, uh, like the Red Sea coming back together, they, you know, <laughs> uh, we were walking up there, the crowd just absolutely, uh, just, they ran and, and it just became a wall of people we had to get through. And I still didn't know how close my ball was. I knew Jack was on the green. And as I, Came out of the crowd, uh, saw the ball. It looked like it was pretty darn close to the hole. Yeah, you like those balls when you're walking up. You don't know how close. And <laughs> you're walking up. They, 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 the closer they get, the closer yeah. they get. I like that. And <laughs> when I was, you know, I was walking up through my caddy, Alfie file said, "Well, you've got them now, Mister. You've got them now." And I said, "No, Alf, he's going to make the putt." And uh, Alf looks at me kind of cross-eyed. <laughs> I said, "You know, I." And that's the way. That's the way I always played. I always played that my competitor was always going to play the best shot, uh, and if he plays the best shot, I'm, I'm prepared for it. So lo and behold, again, Jack, as he has done so many times in major championships, uh, uh, he hit the putt, and ten feet from the hole, I knew it was dead center in the hole. It was not going to miss, and it went dead in the geometric dead center of the hole, and. Uh, crowd just it was it was deafening how how loud the crowd was and and, uh, and he he acknowledged the crowd and i was waiting for the crowd to noise to die down and it just stayed at the same 95 decibel level it just continued it never died down so i said well they had the hell with this i'm going to go ahead and put it when they're when they're screaming <laughs> so i i went down to uh, put my ball down to the mark and and when i lifted up the mark I look out of the corner of the eye, and, and Jack is there with his hands up in the air. He puts his hands up in the air, and only in professional golf would this happen. The crowd, in about three seconds, went from 95 decibels to complete silence. It was unbelievable. Class man. Uh, but, you know, he, he, he wanted me to have the benefit of putting it in silence, and I did, and uh, I made it, and that's when he took me took in his his half excuse me his half Nelson grip around my neck. He said, Tom, I gave him my best shot, but it wasn't good enough. And congratulations, I'm really happy for you. And as I said, that was kind of the defining moment of my career that I I could play with the big boys. And I you know, it was you know, it was really kind of off to the races after that for me. Yeah, the, your your run with the big boys, as you put it, Tom Watson, continued in earnest. In 1978, you finished second at the Masters to Gary Player with that 8-under par 64 in the final round. And then John Mahaffey, who had his major championship victory at the PGA that year as well. Close calls with uh, ties for second in both of those. That's right. I uh, I remember a couple of shots uh, 
uh, in particular that caused me to uh, not win. And one was a, uh, a, a three putt at the 14th hole from uh, I had a putt. I had about a five footer from the top of the hole uh, at 14 for birdie, and I three putted it. And uh, it was against uh, Mahaffey. Uh, I had a four or five shot lead going in the last nine holes, and I drive it in a divot at number ten. Uh, and I watch uh, John ahead of me. He makes it from about forty feet for birdie, and I hit it fat, short of the green, the place you couldn't do it in the heavy, heavy rough. And I ended up making double bogey. So there goes three shots right there. And, and I struggled to uh, make a couple more bogeys in the back nine to get in, in the playoff. But actually, Hubert Green, he missed it. About, I'm not sorry, not Hubert Green, but Cherry Pate, who was in the playoff with John. Yeah. Yep. John, he, he, he missed a three footer straight uphill in the 18 to, to win the tournament. Mm. Keeping with uh, with some of these close calls during that period, which which I illustrate to show you how much, folks, Tom Watson was either winning or knocking on the door of wins at majors. Uh, 1979 Masters, you end up getting into a playoff with Ed Sneed and Fuzzy Zeller. Or I shouldn't have been in the playoff. Ed Sneed bogeyed the last three holes there. and uh, uh, But anyway, that's where we were. We are in the playoff. And again, the one shot there, uh, I didn't expect to be in the playoff. But uh, when I got in there, I hit a shot at number 10. It was a beautiful shot. And it ended up about uh, oh eight feet just left of the hole, and left to right putt, and I hit the worst putt there. <laughs> it was awful. I thought I win the tournament right there, and then Fuzzy makes it. Uh, he makes it for about twelve feet or fifteen feet on on the eleventh hole to win the playoff. At the nineteen eighty U.S. Open, you end up finishing in a tie for third at that one, and that's another one of those. Major championships, another U.S. Open that goes down as lore in the history of the game at Baltusrol that year. That's right. Uh, I thought Baltusrol was a tough golf course. I shot 71 the first round, and I was eight shots behind two players. One was named Weisskopf, and the other was named Jack Nicholas. <laughs> and I, I was really playing well, and I, and I, I, I inched my way back into the tournament, inched and inched and inched, but I just didn't have enough time. Well, you make good use of time. In that year, 1980, it was the Open at Muirfield. What a venue, what a stage, all the significance that, that Muirfield is and the significance of what it meant for you that year. What are your memories of that major? Well, the memories were the first round. They had uh, The first round was probably the worst weather uh, I'd ever played in. Uh, in, the, in an open championship, it was blowing 35 miles an hour, raining, and the har, you know, they call it the Scottish har, which is a yeah. fog. It was, you know, you couldn't see, you couldn't see very much. It was a really, really tough day to play. And, and both Trevino and I shot 68, and I think we lapped the field that day. Everybody else is shooting 79 or, or 80 that day. And, and so that got us off to, a, uh, you know, the, the horse race. You know, I, 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 I look at golf tournaments as horse races you start off even uh from the gate uh like the kentucky derby every all the horses are even and then uh, you know then what you're trying to do at the end is is get in a position where you can make a you can make a run or keep the lead you know and coming down the stretch and, and for the finish line and that that uh, that got us off uh, we we jumped ahead of the whole pack uh, trevino and i at, at first at first round and then 
And I remember the third round, uh, it was, you know, there absolutely didn't, there wasn't a breath of air in the third round. And it was a so, very soft conditions because of the rain they had. And uh, I remember shooting 60, 64, and I think that uh, his Iowa Oak, he shot 63 that day. So but I can tell you one thing, that term was, you know, one thing I remember most about that term is I, I knew when I started the tournament that I was putting my absolute best I'd ever putted in my life. And that all of my game plan was very simple. Don't hit it in any bunkers. No way bunkers. Just keep it out of the bunkers. It won't no matter what you do, because I could, you know, I was going to make every putt I looked at, which I did. And uh, I ended up winning by four. And, and uh, it was, uh, 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 I had a good game plan, but my putter was, uh, uh, I just remember that particular week was, uh, it was the best I'd ever putted. Absolutely brilliant. Let's go ahead to the next year. In 1981, the Masters, the Rite of Spring, and for you, Tom Watson, it was a battle over a couple of familiar names, Jack Nicholas and Johnny Miller, who would finish behind you. What are your thoughts of uh, the bent grass greens uh, for the first time there and the week that was in 1981 at Augusta? Well, yeah, the bent grass greens, that was the first year, uh, and uh, I do remember uh, during the tournament watching the reruns of Mark Hayes on the 18th hole. Uh, the, pin, the flag was back right. I think it was a Friday round. And uh, he he putted his ball up about three feet past the hole. His next putt, uh, he was pitching back to the hole from the 60 yards. He, he missed the putt. He went down the big slope in the middle of the green, rolled off from the green about another 15 or 20 yards. Um, and, uh, well, yeah, you have to be careful in those greens. And I actually, in the last round, I, uh, I, I hit it just over the green at number nine and, uh, hit a flyer from, uh, you know, I was just in, in the light rough to the right and I hit a flyer downwind. Um, uh, and uh, the pin was on the, you know, on the first level. If people know that the ninth green, there are three levels to the green and I've hit it. Uh, on the back edge of the green in the fringe, uh, in the third level. And when I putted the ball, I started walking and I went to my back pocket to put my glove on because I knew I putted it off the green, which I did. And I got the ball up and down. I hit a nine iron pitch up there and uh, made bogey. Uh, but uh, that's how difficult the greens played that year. And, they, and uh, to, to the credit, they, they went in and they, they they balanced the greens out uh, uh, so that that didn't happen again and uh on the ninth and the and the eighteenth holes and, uh but that tournament uh, you know is one of those tournaments where you wasn't playing particularly well but i, I still you know, i you know, i still knew how to play the golf course and it was just it was like the horse race i just mentioned. Uh, if I could just keep there, keep in there, keep you know, keep going. And on Saturday's round, I, I had I finally started hitting the ball pretty well, and then the, the uh, 17th hole, I bury it in the front bunker, I make double bogey, uh, and yeah, what a bummer that was. And then uh, the last round, I have a uh, I have a pitching wedge into the green, and I get it a little bit thin, and I again I hit it in that bunker. Now I have you know, what I have a one shot lead, uh, and uh, I uh, uh, I hit a really good bunker shot to the back right flag, and I made a great putt. I mean, it was just a, 
it was nothing but net. It was one of those putts that you always dream about making uh, for the Masters when you're 10 years old and you're playing against Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus. You dream about it. I got to make this putt to, uh, to stay, you know, stay there in the lead and, and beat the best. And, and I made that putt. That I, I was as good a putt as I've ever hit under pressure. And I parred the last hole to win. So, um, Absolutely brilliant. All right, let's go forward uh, to 1982. This was the famed U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. Now, and, and I'm going to ask you about 17 because people are very familiar with, with that image. Uh, you were coming in uh, arguably viewed as the number one golfer in the world. Six top tens in the previous eight U.S. Opens for you as it was. But in the first round through fir- 14 holes, Tom Watson was plus three. What were you, If you can recall, what were you thinking in and around that time in terms of what would lie in your future of that tournament? Well, Matt, I should have been plus eight. I mean, I was just smoking mirrors. When I went into that tournament, I was absolutely, totally hacking it. I could not hit the fairway. I, I, was, I couldn't do anything. I mean, I was awful. My swing was way off. Uh, I, I didn't give myself any chance. I just wanted to go in there. And, you know, again, it's, 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 it's our national open. The tournament I always wanted to win the most, more than the Masters more than the Open Championship, more than the PGA. Uh, it was our national championship. It was against the toughest field on the toughest golf courses. I've always thought that was the biggest challenge. And if you if you won the U.S. Open, you had you'd accomplished the pinnacle of golf. And But that year, uh, I didn't give myself hardly any chances at all. And it was, I go in and I play three practice rounds, and I'm hacking it. I'm hitting left and right off the tee and the rough is you know four inches five inches deep is uh, and you know it was, all i did honestly matt is just you know the practice rounds were really slow but i practiced chipping around the greens constantly around those greens the down slopes you always had down slope chip shots because of uh, the way the sand built up out of the bunkers and you know out of a heavy rough on the down slopes and so i practiced and practiced that First round, I was three over par, as you mentioned, uh, and then uh, you know lightning struck, and I, I finished three under the last four holes. Uh, same thing happened the next day. I'm still hacking it. I'm hitting so far off line. Fortunately, I was so far off line. I was in the gallery, so I wasn't in the five inch rough. I was where they had matted it down. Uh, so I, I got a lot of lucky breaks there, and, and uh, yeah, but I, you know, again, I was three over par. Should have been about seven. You know, six or seven over par uh, in the second round. Uh, and I came in and I buried three out of the last five holes. Again, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. And I'm now I'm even par for the tournament, still not having a chance to win the tournament, even though I'm, what, I'm, I'm three or four shots off the lead. I can't remember Bruce Devlin or somebody like that was leading the tournament. And uh, so I go to the practice range, as I always did, trying to find something that's going to work with my golf swing. And lo and behold, I found something. I found that I was, again, I was loose. I was taking the club too far outside. I got tighter. I kept the, the left, uh, uh, my left tricep really you know, close to my chest on the backswing and tightened up my backswing. And, and I started hitting the ball later. And I, I confirmed it and confirmed it. And by the end of the practice session, uh, I turned to my caddy, Bruce, there, and I said, Bruce, I've got it. I got it. And uh, the next day, Saturday morning, first tee ball, 
Uh, you know, you've got out of bounds to the right, the rough to the left. Uh, you know, a three wood, I couldn't have hit a better shot coming off the tee. And, and Bruce said, are you nervous? And I said, yeah, I'm really nervous because now I knew I had a chance to win the tournament. And, uh, as thing progressed, I shot 68 that day. And then last round, uh, you know, it, it, I started off and, uh, um, and it, that, I, I think I buried the second hole, if I'm not mistaken, but you, know, you could hear the cheers. You, know, you heard you heard the cheers, and you knew what, who, was, who, was, who was causing those cheers, and it, it, uh, it was the one and only Jack Nicklaus. And he, you know, look at the board, and, uh, and he, you know, he was three under, four under, uh, five under. You know, he was, he was running the tables. And that's what you can do with Pebble Beach. The first, first seven holes there, you, you can really get, you know, you can really get it going and, and, and shoot you know, a lot under par. And, and uh, so uh, anyway, it, it, it just uh, you know, started to progress through the round. And uh, I, I can say again, that round of golf with my putter, uh, you know, I, I made more putts in that round that, uh, than probably any other tournament that I, I won major championship than, other than uh, – uh, putting at Muirfield, as I just mentioned, in 1980, and I won the Open there. And then it came down to uh, uh, I was tied with him, tied with Jack after bogeying, made a heck of a bogey at 16 um, because I, I put my third shot out, out after having to chip out sideways or blast out sideways from the right fairway bunker, which I put it in stupidly, but uh, locked to the back of the 16th green and. The, the flag was on the very front left, and I had a putt that broke 10 feet downhill, and uh, that putt right there—that uh, was the—that was the key shot, not the chip in, but that—that that was the key shot of the whole tournament. Hmm. Uh, because I putted that ball to a foot uh, from you know from the very back of the green, is you know 60 feet, and uh, you know that you know, I, I couldn't do that again in, in, in a basket full of balls putting it that close. And um, it just happened. And then 17 happened. You know, just uh, uh, I, I didn't hit a very good shot off the tee. It was the left of the, the flag. I walk off the tee. I tell Bruce, mutter under my breath in my pity pot, and say, well, that's dead. You know, I, I was tied with Jack, and I hit, hit his ball in a terrible position at 17. And, and uh, I get up, uh, get up to see the ball, see what type of lie. That's what you always do is, you know, is check the lie first and see if you have any chance. And, the lie was down on the grass, but it, it wasn't gnarly. It, at least it, it was, you know, it, I could I could get the club face underneath the ball. And it wasn't going to grab the club face a lot. Uh, so I played the shot and took dead aim to try to hit the flagstick, and that's exactly what it did. It broke left to right and hit the flagstick dead center and went in. And, and uh, I ran halfway to Japan, pointed back to Bruce because I, I mean, he, he had told me when I took out the sand there he said get it close and i said get it close hell i'm gonna hold it and uh, i turned around to him and pointed pointed to him and said with you know with the bravado i said see i told you so and <laughs> on. then it was game on okay now i go to the next tee and and uh, get all my get all my thoughts together okay this is how i'm gonna play the hole and i hit a three wood farther than i hit any drive that week uh, and laid up with a seven iron. Uh, so I had the third shot, uh, uh, I hit a nine iron into the green and, uh, hit, uh, hit it past the hole about 20 feet and, and, 
uh, hit a downhill putt, and I said, I'm just trying to, you know, trying to lag it, but it was probably going a little bit too hard, as my dad said in my phone call afterwards. I said, <laughs> I made the putt, but he, uh, the first thing he said I, after I said, Dad, just won the Open. Happy Father's Day. He said, why didn't you, why didn't you leave the son of a bitch short? <laughs> I said, no. no. He wouldn't have gone very far. By. He was going about six inches by, and he said, B.S. <laughs> Absolutely uh, classic. I went in the hole, and I won, I won the tournament. I wanted to win the most. And, and Jack was waiting for me off the green there, and, and he comes up to me, puts both hands on my shoulders, gives me this stern look. And he said, you little son of a bitch, you did it to me again. <laughs> and that was in reference to the putt that I made at the, at the open to Turnberry in the duel in the sun on the 15th hole when I, I hold it from off the green. And he, he was making reference to the fact that, and, and, uh, he, he, and then he smiled and he said, congratulations, you needed to win this tournament. And I'm really, really happy for you. Wow, such class. Let's stay in uh, 1982. We're going to go to the Open at Royal Troon. And when you won this one, to have won the U.S. Open in the Open in the same year, you joined the company of Bobby Jones, who did it twice, Gene Sarazen, Ben Hogan, Lee Trevino, and then, of course, Tiger would do it later in, in the year 2000. Pretty heady company to keep in, in this career that you are now etching into 1982. What are your memories about Royal Troon that year? Uh, Troon, uh, Nick Price should have won Troon. Um, you know, Nick, Nick had, uh, he had me by four or five shots with nine holes to go. And, and uh, I remember eagling the 11th hole of the par five. And it was, uh, you know, it, it got me a little bit back. To, you know, it got me back. To, then I turned around, I bogeyed the 12th hole. And, and I said, well, you know, we're playing into the wind. And Troon probably has the. It, you know, it's one of the two courses that has the toughest finishing holes, you know, finishing finishes in, in Open Championship golf. The other was uh, 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 is, is Carnoustie. I think the last four holes of Carnoustie are as tough as they get. Uh, and but through in the last nine holes, playing playing the end of the wind, it is really a tough golf course. And the thirteenth hole and the fifteenth hole are both long par fives, par four, excuse me into the wind and I parred both of them. And, uh, uh, you know, I just, you know, I looked back to the scoreboard and, and, uh, and Nick, uh, I believe he, I think he double bogeyed 13. So now, you know, now, now things are changing a little bit. I, I, I have a chance, I have a chance. And, um, you know, I, you know, I par, uh, uh, 17 and 18 into the wind and, uh, and, and, and Nick, uh, Bogies, he bogeys uh, and then he seventeen. He gets a, a chip shot. He misses misses a putt there at uh, at seventeen, and now I've got a one shot lead. Uh, and uh, he uh, he couldn't bury the eighteenth hole, and, and I ended up winning winning the tournament. But uh, is actually Nick Price Nick Price is to win, and, and uh, I, I I fell in behind him. Wow. Uh, and, of course, Nick Price would, would end up winning his major championships down the road as well. Uh, I do want to well, ask Nick, you about – Nick was you funny got... about that, Nick, is when he won the uh, – when he won it, uh, turned dirty, he said, you know, there was one time I had one hand on the trophy, but now I've got two hands on the trophy. <laughs> <laughs> Hold That's on tight. Hand, 
uh, at Troon in the in the eighty two. In nineteen eighty three, before we get into into Burkdale on that one, in nineteen eighty three, that U.S. Open at Oakmont when Larry Nelson won and you finished second to him. In all the U.S. Opens you've played, including nineteen seventy four at Wingfoot, how tough was it that year at Oakmont? Because because the legend of that U.S. Open was that it was extremely difficult. Well, Oakmont is, is one of the tough courses we play. You know, week in and week out, it's as tough as it gets. The greens are very fast. But, uh, you know, Oakmont at that in 83, we had rain, and it softened the golf course up some. And, and uh, it, it, uh, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it wasn't as tough as actually when I played the U.S. Amateur there in 1969. That was as tough a golf course as I'd ever played. Uh, but, uh Oakmont uh, was. Uh, I remember uh, yeah, yeah, having to quit uh, because of thunderstorms on the Sunday round there, and come back and play. And I hear this huge roar, uh, uh, and and Larry Nelson made a putt, uh, you know, about a sixty foot putt at sixteen for two, uh, and, and and I couldn't match it, and he was uh, uh, tied. And then I bogey seventeen. I had a I, I laid up off the tee and I hit a lousy second shot. I put it in the right bunker and uh, hit the best bunker shot I think I've ever hit in my life. But I, uh, I, I, I missed it. I think I had a, a, like a six or eight foot putt and I missed the putt for par and made bogey there. And uh, uh, so I took myself out of it with that second shot at 17, as I recall. And, and uh, Larry, he won his, uh, one of his three major championships right there at Oakmont. Let's go forward into the summer. Now we are at the Open at Royal Birkdale, and with your victory there, Harry Varden, who won the Open six times, you've joined the company of J.H. Taylor, James Braid, and Peter Thompson, men who have won the Open five times. I mean, it's, it's, it's head-shaking, it's mind-blowing when you think about the significance of it, but for you, you were coming into that Open at Royal Birkdale looking to win a second consecutive open and three of the last four years what were your thoughts then thinking back on that well now i can uh, <laughs> i i can, can tell you what about about royal birkdale i mean i was not playing particularly well but i was i was uh, uh, i had a game plan to play it and and it it, you know, it, it kept me in the tournaments put it that way and and uh, uh, i get back to the sixth hole there the uh, the sharp dogleg right par four that I played two really good shots and it gave me a boost of confidence that uh, kind of relaxed me some and it gave me confidence in what I was doing by swing and I, I played some you know, good quality shots coming in and I missed a few you know, makeable birdie putts and and uh, I was getting a little bit frustrated because I had you know, I was right there at the lead and then um, um, I you know, come to the 16th hole and. And I had a good shot in the 16. I was about 25 feet away from, it. and uh, uh, I had a pretty easy putt. And and lo, I made the putt. And then uh, I said, "Okay, finally, I broke the ice. I made a putt. And now, and now I've got a chance to, you know, the 17th hole, par five. I bury that. I'm up by two. And and uh, and I hit a, I hit a good shot in there. You know, my third shot." And yeah, I missed the, the birdie putt from probably about five or six feet, something like that. And uh, I said, I said to myself, okay, now I've got to play 18 into the wind. And and, 
18 is a, you know, from the elevated tee, it's dogleg right, and it's 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 just a tough hole. I mean, just mm-hmm. bottom line, you have to hit two fine shots. And I uh, I hit as good a drive as I could. I hit a power fade out there, and but you know, just just to, you know, left of the right bunker there, and, and uh, um, I remember how, how interminably long it, it took for the group ahead of us to finish the hole. I think Stadler. And, David Graham may be, may be, may have been in the turn, in the group ahead of us, and, and Stadler was having problems with it. And it seemed like there was ten minute delay. I was out in the middle of the fairway there, uh, you know, knowing what club I was going. I was going to hit a two iron, and I was two hundred and I think I was two hundred and five yards into the wind, and uh, uh, I was kept on shadow shadow swinging with the two iron, and, and finally it was t- time to hit it and. When I hit it, I hit it as flush and as good a shot as I could ever hit. Uh, it started uh, left to right into the wind. And, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I hit a draw, started draw away from the flag. But I, you know, Alfie File said, uh, stop. You know, he said, enough. He said, I said, don't worry, it'll come back, which it did. It uh, came back and it, it dropped right on the flagstick. Uh, but again, it's like the Red Sea coming together. I never knew how close it was because the crowd just became just ran in front of me. I never knew how close it was, but I knew if I was on the green, if I two putted, I win the tournament. And uh, I broke through the crowd, saw the ball was up there, probably in, in, in pretty reasonable range. That's about fifteen feet short of the hole. And, uh, and I two putted to win uh, win my fifth Open Championship by one stroke in front of Andy Bean and Hale Irwin when it was all said and done. 1984 was another great year. It was a year of close calls, second at the Masters to Ben Crenshaw, and then second at St. Andrews, that incredible, iconic open that year that Seve won uh, over over you and Bernhard Langer, who finished tied for second. Any thoughts on, on those two majors? Well, I played with Bernhard in uh, you know, our last round together, and we we missed so many putts that round. And Bernhard, he, he was closer to the hole than I was uh, for most of the day, and he made, he just never made a putt. Uh, and um, it was it was just one of those rounds of golf where uh, you know you, you hit the ball great from tee to green, but you couldn't buy a putt, and and that's what happened. And I I have a chance, uh, you know, I'm tied uh, with the lead uh, going to the 17, and a I had, uh, you know, playing 17 into the wind and, and uh, the road hole. And I, uh, I took a, uh, I hit my drive and the ball ended up on an upslope, one of those knobs and on the upslope. And, and I, back in those days, I wasn't real good at uh, hitting the ball low. Uh, so I decided I was going to take the risky, risky shot and try to land the ball on the green in the air. And it's, you know, it's such a skinny green. It gets skinnier as it goes back uh, with the road pinching in from the right and the, and the terrible road hole bunker on the left. And, mm-hmm. and I just, I had a terrible shot. I shoved it off to the right and bounced on the road. And, and uh, I, uh, I actually hit a pretty good shot to get it on the green with a putter. I putted it uh, over the road and got it up to the sharp slope there and on the green about, oh, I don't know, 15 feet from the hole, 20 feet from the hole. And, and when I walk up in the green, uh, the, the huge roar from the 18th hole happened, and I knew the Seve made a birdie. So now I've got to make the putt and then bury the 18th hole to tie him. And uh, I didn't make the putt, and then Seve ends up winning at St. Andrews. 
Wow, gee. Uh, 1987, U.S. Open at the Olympic Club. Uh, Scott Simpson ended up being the victor on that one, but it was only by one stroke over the man we're talking to and Tom Watson. Well, I had, uh, uh, again, it was one of those tournaments I went into, and I, I just, I played, I remember played a practice round with Nicholas, and I couldn't, I couldn't hit it, I couldn't hit it anywhere. Not anywhere, I, I was hitting it terribly, and uh, I made an adjustment on my on my swing, uh, uh, you know, prior to the the first round, and things started to you know, work out, and I I grew more and more confident with confident with my golf swing, and uh, you know, Olympic Club is a tough driving golf course. You get to a lot of side slopes of the fairways to get keep the ball in the fairway is really tough, and and uh, that, that was the one thing I remember doing very well that week is getting keeping the ball in the fairway off the tee. And uh, Scott, uh, you know, we, we kind of went neck and neck down the last uh, the last nine holes. And, uh, Scott got a, a good break in one of the holes where he sculled a shot out of the bunker and hit the flag and dropped down a couple of feet from the hole and and uh, made par there. And and, oh. uh, and and the last hole, the short par four, I didn't hit a very good second shot. I hit uh, the front edge of the green and I had about a 40, 40 or forty five foot putt and. Then, uh, I hit a good putt. It ended up a couple inches from the hole you know, to tie him to go in the playoff. But uh, it didn't go in, and, and Scott wins the tournament. In 1991, you ended up finishing third in the Masters that was won by Ian Woosnam. And then, of course, in 2009, back at the Open at Turnberry, uh, you lost in that playoff to Stuart Sink. Of all the wins that you have had, is that 2009 Open at Turnberry still the one that most people want to talk to you about? Indeed, it is. You know, they uh, you know, maybe it has something to do with its, it's recent history. You know, uh, you know, not a lot of people remember uh, the 70s and 80s when I was uh, when I was running the tables, but that tournament right there, most people they, they, they talk about that tournament. Yes, they do. Do you find that for most people that bring it up, I was I was one of those in the grandstands on the right uh, all day watching it and watching you and, and coming away from it feeling personally heartbroken, although I didn't know you at that time. Do you find that people see that loss as something that impacted them personally, maybe even more so than it impacted you? Well, it, it did in, in, a, in a very positive way, I think, in and even though it was a loss and people were heartbroken, I was, you know, it was, uh, uh, it was a tough loss. I mean, I had it in my grasp and, uh, I hit a, a fine shot in the, uh, I played the last hole. Uh, my tee shot was perfect and my second shot I thought was perfect, but it ended up going over the green and, and I failed to get the ball up and down and, uh, and then I didn't hit a good shot in the playoff when I didn't hit a single good shot in the playoff, but, uh, People, yeah. After the, you know, at the aftermath of it was like this, Matt. The, I, I, I was, I was contacted by so many different people, you know, throughout the week, and then afterwards, letters and emails. And, like my email system shot craps. It, it just, it was just so overloaded. It just couldn't take anything. Uh, but, but there was a common theme to a lot of the letters that I responded to, and and the theme was this. I said, you know, Tom, I gave up. Because I thought I was too old uh, to continue uh, pursuing a, a passion or a, 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 a 
something that I you know, that I really wanted to to achieve, and you gave me the impetus to to keep at it or get back to it. Uh, uh, you know, age is but a number, uh, and you know you could, uh, and and that was that was a that was the positive thing that came out of it, a very positive thing for me. Well, that inspiration because of that passion is the reason why, Tom Watson, you are looked upon with the degree of respect that you are. One of the greatest to have ever played this game of golf. I cannot tell you how fascinating and how enjoyable it was for us, and I hope so for you, too, to relive the memories of your major championships and all the times that you knocked on the door in these majors. It was an absolutely fascinating conversation, and as ever, we thank you for who you are and for the time that you've allowed us today. Well, thank you, Matt. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to be on your show.